Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in week four of Creed, a series on theology. Today, Heather will be speaking on the topic of the Holy Spirit. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. We are in part two of the Trinity. You know, no small thing. No small thing, the Trinity. You know, we're, we're grown. We're adults. We dive in. We're learning theology because it's important. Because your generation, I'm telling you now, listen up. Even if you don't absorb what I'm about to say, you will remember it sometime from now and go, this is what she meant. Your generation is going to need to be, could be, and I believe will be the generation to establish what the new church is going to look like. You are the church of today, and you have got to know what you believe and why you believe it. You have got to know what you're tethered to. If you are a Christian, you have got to know what you've signed up for. If you are not a Christian and you are here because you're examining things and you don't know what you think and you really don't know what you think right now after all that mess, like, you're like, what is, who, I don't even know what I think about all of this. I don't understand so much of it. Maybe you've had bad church experience, bad experiences with with other Christians. I don't know. Um, You're here at a good time because we're talking about what Christians are supposed to be about. So as you listen, this is a safe place for you to have questions. This is a safe place for you to wrestle with that and for you to learn about that and for you to seek that out and wonder that. And we're going to jump in tonight to the Trinity. Last week, we talked about the Father and the Son. This week, we reserved entirely for the Holy Spirit, part four of a series called Creed. Creed itself is just a word that simply means I believe. There have been creeds throughout all of time. One in particular that we have been reading repeatedly every week is called the Apostles' Creed because it is perhaps one of the best-known creeds, one of the oldest creeds, and it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. See, y'all, he didn't just lay in the tomb. He actually went to hell to deal with our consequences, and then he came back from that and conquered death and destruction, defeated hell, kicked Satan in the teeth. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. That might be my paraphrase of the Gospels, whatever. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. He is returning, in case you wondered. I believe, here's where we're getting to, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And once again, let me remind you, that is not referring to what we typically think of as the Catholic Church, like a group, a religious group that we see, the big cathedrals, things like that. That word Catholic just means universal, the global church, the church all over the world. We believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. That is called the Apostles' Creed, and we've been extracting truths from that and sitting in that today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.15, according to the message version, says, Spirit can only be known by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion, spiritually alive, 
we, listen, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing. Shut the front door. Did y'all hear that? We have access to everything that the spirit is doing. The spirit that was in Jesus, that Jesus needed, we read throughout the gospels, Jesus required the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, filled Jesus, and then Jesus began his earthly ministry. And then when Jesus went down to hell, descended for three days, came back, the Holy Spirit that resided in him and with him and upon him, and he rose from the dead, is the very same spirit we have access to. I should get an amen. That's good, y'all. That's good. So last week, I put this up here. I'm gonna put it up here again so that you can see it because this is something that could be so transformational in your life if you began to view yourself in this way. When we talk about spirit communing with spirit and we talk about mind, body, and soul and father, son, spirit. So the Trinity, right? Father, then what? Son, and tonight is? Holy Spirit. Three and one, one and three. One God, three persons. The Holy Spirit is not an it. As the Father is, as the Son is, the Holy Spirit is a per son. But we are also one in three, three and one. Genesis tells us we were made in the image of God. Both men and women made in the image. We are a reflection of God. Three and one, one in three. And so we are... Soul, body, spirit. You can also say this is mind. We reflect these parts. Jesus in the flesh, the incarnation we talked about. We are a physical body. We reflect the sun. Our mind, our will, the spirit connecting to spirit, the eternal part of ourself, our soul that lives on for eternity with the Father. We reflect God, which is why you cannot take any part of yourself, like your body, move it out here to live in sin, and still remain a whole person. You cannot extract your mind and bring it out here and fill your mind with all kinds of junk, all kinds of sinful thoughts, all kinds of things like that, but still follow all the rules, go to church, obey all the things, sing songs to the Father, pray the prayer, and think that you're going to live a whole and healthy life. You are fractured. It's why you feel broken. You feel broken because there's a part of you that is out of alignment, that has moved out from the umbrella of alignment and you feel off. You're not fully operating in the fullness of the image of God. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit tonight, what I want you to know is that when we read that verse, it says we have access to everything God's Spirit is doing. God's Holy Spirit can write it. Take that thing that is out of alignment and just bring it right back in if you are open to hearing from the Holy Spirit. 
and if you are open to doing what he says to do. So let's keep going. Now, I don't know, we all have different backgrounds. We come from different places. When I say Holy Spirit, it might conjure up all kinds of images. For some of you, um, like maybe like me, you grew up and nobody talked about the Holy Spirit. We just didn't talk about it. I mean, not that it wasn't mentioned, and of course we believed in the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't something that was emphasized. We talked about God the Father, the Creator. We talked about Jesus, the Savior. Not a ton about the Holy Spirit. So I grew up viewing the Holy Spirit as sort of God Jr., like God's assistant. And I thought, you know, and I sort of imagined in my little girl mind that the Holy Spirit was like this misty, fog, smoky thing that needed to exist because if I was going to invite Jesus into my heart, Jesus could live in my heart, so he needed this sort of invisible mist to be able to go inside my body and live like the Bible said, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. That's just, I didn't know much about the power of the Holy Spirit, or we didn't talk much about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, none of that. He was like the lesser part of the Trinity. Not taught against, but not taught intentionally. Now, some of you grew up uh, where the Holy Spirit, that's it, that's all that exists. The Father, well, he's great. The Son, sure, he saves us. But the Holy Spirit, now let's talk about that all the dang time, and it got weird, didn't it? <laughs> it just got weird, like weird stuff. And then we have people that are all along the spectrum. Like, just all different places are experienced with the Holy Spirit or lack thereof. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to by a word called ruach which means wind or breath. In the New Testament, it's referred to by a word pneuma, air, breath, strong breeze. The Holy Spirit is like the wind of God that causes the sails to expand, that causes things to take light, to rise, to raise, to be full, to be empowered. I've found the Holy Spirit sometimes to be like a gentle breeze because in his wisdom, that's what I need. And then other times during songs like I Thank God, he, he's like a mighty rushing wind of power. Other symbols in the Bible for the Holy Spirit are fire, water, a dove. The Holy Spirit is a person, as is the Father and the Son. I say person because the Holy Spirit has a personality, a will. The Bible says the Holy Spirit can be grieved, that the Holy Spirit feels, that the Holy Spirit speaks. It is a person, it has a personality is referred to as the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, and constant. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us now. At Christmas time, we celebrate the little baby that came in the manger, Jesus, Emmanuel, Merry Christmas, God is with us. When Jesus returned to heaven after he rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came, God with us now. God with us. Us. Sometimes we think, man, I wish Jesus was here. I'd like to look him in the eye and talk to him. Let me just tell you, God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. 
In Genesis, it says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and manifested creation. That Jesus spoke it, but the Holy Spirit manifested it. Then we read that the Holy Spirit um, in and of Jesus, like Jesus rose from the dead with that very same spirit. And then we we read of the spirit in the church when it was begun, that 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one day. I feel like the spirit knows what to do. Get some stuff done. So um, there is a, when I was thinking about how, how do you illustrate the Holy Spirit? What, what earthly representation? So here's what I came up with. There is a superhero named Shazam. Y'all know this? Tell me you, if you know this, raise your hand, Shazam. Okay, so when you think Holy Spirit, I want you to think Shazam. Can we do that for just a few minutes? Now, in case you didn't know this, there is actually a definition for Shazam, and it is this. You can look, look it up. It is an extraordinary deed, story, or transformation. Extraordinary story. Now, you know this, that Shazam is a superhero. And the superhero has the powers of seven warriors. Inside of him, he has the powers of Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. The first letter of all their names being Shazam. This mighty Greek god of a man that's going to battle an enemy named Thaddeus who is filled with seven demons that actually, if you go back and study, represent the seven deadly sins. What you'll find in superhero stories and all of these things in comics and things like that is that popular stories that are told in our culture offer us insights into the longings that go on inside of humanity. The things that we wish could be true. The things we long for. See, we crave victory. We crave power. We crave supernatural gifts. We want to be someone weak that is being used in a way that is powerful. We don't want to be helpless. We don't want to be defeated by everything that comes our way. We want to know I can step into and step up to whatever presents itself. And I can have the supernatural power to defeat it. Shazam, right? I think, when I think of a biblical character that I would, use Shazam for, I think of Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because Peter inevitably always got it wrong. Peter was the disciple, I think, that was probably chastised the most, like where Jesus had to pull him aside the most, Jesus had to correct him the most. Peter, like, acted and then he thought later. He was always wrong about every decision that he would make. And Jesus was always having to clean up his messes. Like, literally, like, putting an ear back on someone that Peter cut off. Like Peter was sat at the Last Supper at the communion table and Peter's response when Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm gonna go be tortured and die. Peter says, okay, yeah, yeah, but uh, who gets to sit next to you in heaven? Like this is Peter. Peter sees himself. He's consumed with himself. He's this weak person that the very first time that a little servant girl says to him, hey, don't you follow Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Peter becomes scared of the little girl and goes, what, me? No. 
No, right? This is Peter. Peter did not go to the cross. He did not go so that the son of God that he followed and served and swore his life to would not be alone. Jesus didn't look down from that cross and see Peter. Peter was off running scared. But Peter, this guy that got it all wrong, is the same guy. The same guy that when Jesus came back from the dead and Jesus met him on the beach, he forgave Peter. And not only did he forgive him, he said, Peter, you are exactly, you are exactly the man filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy You are the man that is gonna start the church. We are all sitting in this room today because of Peter. This guy that we would go, dude, you are weak. You have no character, no spine. All of the sudden, like, rises up. All the mighty power that's instilled within him. And we're going to read what happens in Acts chapter 2. Now, y'all, I've debated. Should we read this whole passage? And I really was like, oh, I could cut it here and here. But y'all need to know this passage. Like, you need to know this passage. This is where the Holy Spirit comes. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I'm going to get through it. I, might, I love this passage. I might cry. Okay, ready? Acts 2, 1 through 16. You should also write this down so that you can go back later and reread it and sit in it and marinate in it. Okay, so Jesus has gone back to the Father. All of the apostles and the disciples are sitting around in a room because Jesus said, go back to a room and wait. I'm leaving. Go sit in this room and wait. I'm going to send someone that's going to help you. So they're all just sitting there waiting. Waiting. What are we waiting on? I don't know. Jesus is going to send someone. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound, listen, like the blowing of a violent what? Wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, can you, y'all, imagine being, have you ever seen those machines like in arcades where you step in it and like it's the hurricane one? Imagine us being in this room and that happens. It just like, it just fills with this wind and everything's whipping everywhere. Everything's falling everywhere. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is a true story. This is not like a Marvel comic. This is not like a superhero. This is a true story. All of them were filled with the what? Oh, come on. They were filled with what? Yes, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Oh, let me explain. The Holy Spirit comes. Everybody starts speaking in different languages, in their own tongues, in different languages, but... It says, because each one heard their own language being spoken. They heard all these different languages, yet they could understand their native tongue. They understood everything being spoken, even though it wasn't what they were accustomed to hearing. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, who hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. All these different people who speak all these different languages hear these people who the Holy Spirit has descended upon speaking in their language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. They're drunk. They're drunk, they're talking, we don't know what they mean. Okay, here's where I wanna get to, then Peter. Then Peter. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed to the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love that that's Peter's response. If it was nine at night, maybe. But don't you kind of get that sense? Peter's like, it's 9 a.m. We ain't drunk. Right? No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Oh. Ah. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. That's you. On all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. By the way, another word for that is preach. Your young men will see visions. That's a prophetic gift. Your old men will dream dreams. Prophecy, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour, pour out, not drip out, not dole out, not, you know, like give like equal, like I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I, Peter was making the kind of declarations that were gonna change the world. So Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, let's back up. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, baptism, Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. The Holy Spirit's power, here's how it works. It does three things. Remember these three prepositions. The Holy Spirit is with you, in you, and can come upon you. With you, in you, and upon you. Now, whether you are a Christian or not, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. He's working on behalf of God, on behalf of God's kingdom to draw all people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is around you 
working in and through your life, whether you know it, whether you believe it, to draw you to the Father, to draw you unto himself. The Holy Spirit is active in the world ever since Jesus left. He is with you, convicting of sin, moving people to righteousness. When someone gets saved, when someone becomes a Christian, it was the Holy Spirit ringing the doorbell. The Holy Spirit is with people, with. Now, the Holy Spirit is also in. Now, he's not in everyone. When you open the door and you give your life to Jesus, when you become a Christian, this Holy Spirit comes in you. The, the, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit in them, God with you. It's when the temple that was a formal building and people went to where the Holy of Holies was and the priest was, moved from a building to you. You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in you from the moment of salvation. But then there's this little preposition, upon, where the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this, it's this that is the most ignored, malnourished, and underutilized. It is the upon. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Where you receive power, the power for, you know, to enable you to make the right decisions, the power to understand truth, the power to open, that opens your eyes, the power that directs you, the power that activates the gifts inside of you, the power that transforms you to be the person that God designed you to be. It comes upon you. It's when you allow the Holy Spirit to move in you and on you. You can have the Holy Spirit in you, but refuse to let the Holy Spirit come upon you. Refuse to walk in the freedom that the Holy Spirit offers. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, that word filled, maybe you've heard that term, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We use that a lot in church. If you go back and you use the original translation of the word, what it means is to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't get filled with the Holy Spirit one time. It is to being filled by the Holy Spirit constantly. It's every day waking up and acknowledging and choosing to let the Holy Spirit fill you once again with a fresh and new anointing. It's this, you know, you don't drive your car with last year's gas in it, right? That's gone. So you go get more gas. So for the Holy Spirit to be continually filling you, continually coming upon you, you are continually in God's presence continually before him, continually going to him. You can't go do God-sized things without being filled by the Holy Spirit. You can't go do things that are all big and powerful and these big plans that you have without God's powerful presence with you. It would be no different than um, if I said to you, hey, like, so, 
Jeff and I are moving into a new house, which you're not, but if we were moving into a new house and a bunch of you said, hey, hey, can we come help you move? And I went, no, no, I'm gonna do it. Like, just me. If I alone, with no truck, no help, tried to move our entire house filled with five people, three of those are children who have a lot of crap is what they have. And one of them's a hoarder, I swear to you, one of them. And to move it, to have to like pick thing up by thing up and walk it to a new house, to try and carry a couch, to try and carry a bed, to try and do all of this on my own, as opposed to say, getting a truck and getting a whole group of people who would come and help me. Load things up, unload things. It's the difference between operating in my power and operating in the power that could be available to me if I would let it come upon me, right? If I would allow it to happen. If I wouldn't be trying to operate independently, trying to solve all of my own life. So how do you do that? Because I know, I say, you've got to, to, you've got to let it come upon you. How do you do that? How can you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Here's how you know. If someone is really, truly filled with the Holy Spirit, in their life, there will be a focus on Jesus. When they talk, when they act, when they make decisions, when they do things, you will hear, see them, watch them do things, and Jesus is their focus. It's about Jesus and not them. When you see real humility take root, that is real evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I think that is clear in people who are filled with the Holy Spirit is that there is growing of fruit. There's a list of Holy Spirit fruits, the fruit of the Spirit in the Bible. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Somebody who has the Holy Spirit present in their life and is continually being refueled by the Holy Spirit, there is growth in those things. Movement in those things. Success for them is defined by those things. Love. In fact, it says, and if you, you can have everything, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. If you're not operating by loving other people and loving Jesus more than anything else, the Holy Spirit is not something that you're allowing to do the work that, it, that the Holy Spirit wants to do because the Holy Spirit doesn't wanna just empower you, which is what we want. To be empowered, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to prune you. In order to bear the fruit, you gotta let the Holy Spirit come and cut away the branches that are not allowing you to bear fruit. And sometimes, those branches might even have a few leaves on them. They might, they might not even be dead branches, they're just not good branches. They just may be branches that aren't allowing the other branches to be, as, to be flourishing and having as much fruit as they could, and so they've gotta be cut away. You gotta cut away the dead, and you gotta cut away the good to get to the great but how often do we not let him cut away? We're like, okay, fine, cut away the bad, but don't cut away the good. I kind of like the good. And we will not sacrifice the things in our life because we don't want to pay the immediate cost. So we never really see the flourishing and the fruit that God intends for us to have. And you settle for good when you could have great. 
You won't pay the cost right now of letting him prune that relationship in your life that you've been saying for six months, eight months, a year, I should really be done with this, and yet you don't. It's incredibly unhealthy, it's toxic, it is not good for your walk with the Lord, and you will not end it. Why? Because you don't want to pay the cost of the pain. Guess what kind of pain you're gonna pay in a couple years? When you're stuck in something and you've made forever kind of commitments and you can't get out. If you would allow the Holy Spirit to come in with those pruning shears and cut away the things that you don't need in your life that are unnecessary to you, you will never know what it's like to live in total freedom. You gotta be willing to sacrifice. This isn't my notes, but this just occurred to me. So my husband uh, is super open about this. So I'm gonna share something with you that he has shared a million times on stages and with people and things like that. So I'm gonna say this to you and then I'm gonna explain why and then we're gonna bring this to a close. So, um, Band, you can, you can come up if you want. Um, at the age of 11, my husband Jeff, how many of you know Jeff? A bunch of you do, yeah. <laughs> He's not even here. He's getting applause, I'll tell him. Um, he would love that, he would love that. Um, at the age of 11, at a birthday party, he was introduced to pornography. And it took a hold of him. Um, later on, a couple years later, his mom, and by, this is before the days of the internet, right? So back in that day, it was magazines, things like that. His mom found some magazines in his room, uh, didn't address it with Jeff, just totally took it to the youth pastor, and the youth pastor said, boys will be boys. I know those of you who are in student ministry, that's what this youth pastor said to you, Jeff's mom. So they never addressed it, never talked about it. And so Jeff grew up from the age of 11, addicted to pornography. By the time the internet came around, you know, of course, it's much easier to access. It's just everywhere all over the internet. You can get on your phone, um, everywhere. Honestly, there's television shows and movies that you could classify as pornography. It's just really everywhere. And he was truly addicted to it because I don't know if you knew this, but you can be addicted. It actually trains your brain physiologically. Like where you're, you, you have to have that chemical release in order to sustain yourself. By the time we met and were dating, he told me, you know, that he thought, you know, he had this problem or whatever. But I, neither he nor I, I mean, we've been married for 21 years. We've been together for 22. Neither he nor I really, um, really understood at the time the gravity of the situation. I think he thought, I think I thought, yeah, right? I mean, this is my personality. Yeah, you just quit. You just stop. What? Don't be dumb. But that's just kind of my general, that's, what I do. I'm a different, my personality is very different. I mean, we didn't want to, let's not talk about my addictions. Let's just talk about yours. Um, so eventually it, it just, I mean, it was all encompassing. He went into the ministry because shouldn't that, isn't that what you do when you have an addiction to pornography? So he became a youth pastor, got fired from his first job in a church after a year and a half for pornography on the internet as well as visiting strip clubs. I was pregnant with our first child. He lost his job. We had no income, and we didn't know what to do. So 
fortunately, we had a little, well, we were cut off from the church. They fired us, sent us out. We had no friends. We had no, we were just cut off. We were all by ourselves. But there was this little old man, 82 years old, and his wife, who decided to take us in. And so they came alongside us and began to mentor us and began to mentor Jeff. And so Jeff began a healing process that was not easy. That was not easy. Fast forward years later where Jeff is free of that addiction and fully free and leads other men and works with men and works with college students and works with young men to be free of these kinds of things. Um, and how to do that, I, I'm telling you this whole story to say to you, how many times have Jeff and I sat across from a couple that's dating, a couple that's married, and Jeff has said to them, here's what you need to do. You need to cut off your internet. You need to go to a flip phone for a while. And how many times when Jeff talks about you're gonna have to cut some things away from yourself for a season to allow yourself to detox, to heal, to be able to process in a healthy and whole way again. And how many times, most of the time, the people on the other side are, oh, I can't, no, I can't, what? No, I can't do that. But I, well, I gotta have it for work. Well, I gotta have it for that. Well, can't you use the computer at the library? Or can't you like use the, like there are all of these workarounds that you can do, but how many times do we come with, up with excuses for the sin in our lives? Because we just don't want the hacking away of it. We don't wanna be inconvenienced. We don't, y'all, we have let go of the sins that we don't mind letting go with. We're holding on to the sins we like. All the ones we're willing to part with are gone. But there are some you're not willing to part with because you won't let the Holy Spirit prune the things out of your life because you're comfortable. How badly do you want healing? How, the Holy Spirit cannot fill you when you are filled with crap. If you want to be filled, if you want him to come upon you, you've got to make space for him. Make space. Get rid of stuff. Get rid of the stuff that is keeping you from the great. Stop settling for the trash and the garbage and even for some of the good and the average. Choose the great. Choose to pay the short-term cost for the long-term gain. Get rid of the internet. Go to the flip phone. End the relationship. Go through the inconvenience. For six months, a year of your life, go to a recovery group. Go confess to someone that's a believer that you can trust. Get it out in the open. Bring it from dark into the light. When it's in the dark, it grows. When it's in the light, it all of a sudden, you take the power out of the darkness. If you want the Holy Spirit, do you even have space for him? Do you have space for him? Because believe this. He wants to fill you. Oh, my goodness. Y'all, you know what the Holy Spirit wants? Your generation sold out and abandoned to him. Man, if you let the Holy Spirit get a hold of your life, if you let the Holy Spirit direct every word, decision, deed, action, motivation, intention, 12 men changed the world. 
far more than that in this room. But you gotta stop living like victims. You gotta start, stop living like convicts. You gotta stop living incongruent, fragmented lives. So here's what I'd like to do tonight. I wanna just open this space. Right, where's rainwater? There you are. I told him I might have you do this. I'm gonna open the space and we can kind of go into the worship vibe. And here's what I'd like you to do. I asked him if he would just sing over us a song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Low key, no big, like, big emotional confetti. And I need you to decide, I want you to decide, I pray you decide if that's true of you. Not is the Holy Spirit welcome in this room, that's been decided. When he says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place, that means your, your place, your space, your heart, your soul. Holy Spirit, you're welcome, in, is the Holy Spirit welcome in like your place? If you need to come up front, make this place an altar, an altar in the Bible is just where things go to die. You put them up on the altar and they die there. And you might need to have some things you gotta come up here and you just gotta put it on the, and let it die and walk away from it. Some of you might need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. Some of you gave your life to Jesus a long time ago, but you know, statistically, people give their life to Jesus, 50% get baptized, and then a very, very small percentage become disciples. Some of you became believers. You're part of the 50 that never even got baptized and you've been trying to go recover your salvation, and you've been saved 152 times because you think that's how you're gonna recover the heart of the matter. That is not how you recover the heart of the matter. You don't get saved a bunch of times. You do exactly what the Bible says. You repent, you get baptized, and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, what might you be not doing yet in order to be freed up? What needs to be pruned? So as John sings, this is your time with the Lord right now. I'm gonna step back. This is your time with the Lord. How badly, how badly do you wanna live for him? Do whatever you need to do in the room. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. After Heather was speaking in the room, we went into a time of making space for the Holy Spirit. And we were worshiping to Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And so I definitely recommend taking some time to listen to that as you are trying to make space for the Holy Spirit to guide you and convict you and just help you make space in your life for him. So definitely go listen to that after you finish this podcast and just take some time to listen to the Holy Spirit, what he's saying to you. Next week, Heather will be back with us to prepare us for Easter with a Monday Thursday service. If you can make it next Thursday, definitely recommend being there. It's going to be a really cool service preparing us for Easter. And if you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to learn more about College at 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.